Welcome to the Riverwood Chapel podcast. We're so excited you're here. Please check out our other content and video uploads at riverwoodchapel.org. Thank you. Well, good morning, Riverwood. And so along the way, I was also asking our staff, like, what kinds of things did you really learn in elementary school? Not the reading, writing, arithmetic kind of things, but what did you really learn? Here's what our staff came up with, that really our self-image is based on how good we play kickball. Anyone remember that? Like, I also learned how to, as the teacher was going, one, two, one, two. Were you good at getting your friends to, like, go every other person? Yes? Uh, we also learned that the, the rectangular pizza tasted like cardboard. Everyone remember that? Yes, yes, cardboard pizza. Uh, we also uh, learned fascinating things about what we really learned on the school bus. That was where the real education was. I call that an expansion of the English language. Uh, it was on the school bus. All right, but here's what we all know to be true about elementary school. You ready? We all moved on. We all moved on. Whether it was to middle school, junior high, whatever you call it, we didn't stay in elementary school. We grew, we matured, we moved on. The simple truth. But here's the question that we're going to ask this morning How about our spiritual lives? Have we moved on from elementary school? Are we growing? Are we maturing? And the question is, does it really matter? Now, the author of Hebrews has a very poignant opinion, very direct. He has a very strong opinion about why it does matter, why we need to move on beyond elementary school in the things of our faith. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I'm glad you're here. This is going to be a very direct conversation. There are moments in the text of Hebrews where he gets very direct. This is going to be one of those moments. He's going to be very direct. So allow yourself to hear what he wants you to hear this morning. Uh, direct words and warnings at times help us grow and see things. They, they wake us up to maybe a reality that we're not seeing in our own. And so this is why we need to come to God's word with ears to hear uh, the things he wants us to hear and to see the things he wants us to see. So if you have your Bible, we're going to open up to Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to start there at verse 11. And um, in verse 11 starts this way. It, verse 11 says, about this we have much to say. Now, I know if you're new to our church or you're new to kind of walking into the text, you're like, that is a bad place to start. I mean, about this. What is he talking about? About this. What is the this? Well, right before this verse is now this verse. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this, now you know. He wants to have a very long conversation about King Melchizedek. Who is this king of the Old Testament and the book of Genesis? It's very mysterious. He wants to have a long conversation about that, but he can't. He can't. There is something he has to get off his chest. There is something he has to tell the church. Like, he, he, I, I want to talk about that, but I can't. There is a pit in his stomach. You ever have that pit in your stomach? Like, I need to say something really hard to somebody. 
I'm not looking forward to it. It's going to be very hurtful before it's helpful. It's out of love. There is some truth I need to share. Anyone ever have those pit stomach moments? Anyone? I'm the only one. Okay. All right. So what you're about to now um, see is that pit in the stomach moment. It's going to be a very raw conversation he wants to have with the church. He wants to talk about Melchizedek. We'll get there next week. But until then, this is what he wants the church to hear. So chapter 5, verse 11 is where we're going to, to begin. And this is what he sees. That's, that's what I call this section. He's just very honest. This is what he sees in the people of the church that have been gathered. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. All right, so this is the section. This is, he's telling him, this is what I see in you. I've spent some time, I'm observant, I'm amongst you, I'm the shepherd of the church, and this is what I need you to see. And he wraps all of this messaging around a visual the visual of milk. All right, on the count of three, we're all going to, at the same time, say how much was a carton of milk when you went to school. You ready? One, two, three. 25 cents. Okay. Last hour, someone said they went to school when a carton of milk was two cents. Does anyone remember those days? Uh, you do. Anyone? Was there a one-cent day ever? I don't know. What is the going rate of milk now? Anyone know? Anyone have kids in school these days? <laughs> Buying milk? I don't know. Here's, the, here's what he's saying in the text. He's saying, I need to tell you something difficult, and I'm going to tell you wrapped around this metaphor of milk. And the idea of milk is so basic. Like, you drink milk when you're younger. You drink milk when you're growing. But there's a moment when you move on. You graduate from milk, and you move on to solid food. That, that's the whole point. But here's where he grabs our attention. That's not what is happening. That, that's what we would expect, but that's not what's happening. The reverse is actually happening, and it's stunning. It should stop us in our tracks to say, well, why aren't they moving on? What's going on? And this is what he says. Um, spiritually, there is, there is, there's a problem at the level of your, your heart. There's something going on deeper. You were not maturing. You've become stunted spiritually in your development. Um, you should have moved on, but you haven't. Um, they, they should have moved on to the point where, notice what he says, you should be able to teach others these basic truths. You should be able to have conversations around these things. But you can't. And so he's telling them, you've never left elementary school spiritually, and it's going to be problematic. And it isn't because they aren't capable. The problem is rooted in verse 11. Notice what he says. They have become dull of hearing. 
They don't, dull of hearing. And he uses that same exact word in chapter 6, verse 12, and he says, you become sluggish. Dull of hearing, sluggish, apathetic is another word. Lazy, I don't care. They have gotten into the mode spiritually where they just don't care. When I think of lazy, I think the best illustration of laziness comes in the scriptures itself. The best metaphor is in the book of Proverbs that talks about the lazy person. And it says, the lazy man is the one who puts his hand in the bowl to get something to eat, but he is too lazy to actually bring it back to his mouth. (laughs) That's how lazy he is. And it's about not being able to complete anything. You, You start something, but it's been stunted, doesn't persevere, doesn't get to the finish line. And that's what he's saying here. You started something, but did you really? And so this is what he sees. And he goes on in chapter 6 in the first couple of verses to say, here are the things you should understand. And this is kind of a test for all of us too. Like, what are those conversations we should just be able to have about things of faith? Notice what's on the list in chapter 6. He says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. He's not saying leave like you jettison, you don't need it anymore. But he's saying leave like you leave elementary school, like you build a foundation. All right, let's leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, the eternal and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. There's one writer, he uses this illustration. It's a beautiful illustration. He talks about how in elementary school we learn the ABCs, and especially wrapped around the English language. You need the letters A and B and C. If you didn't have them, where would the English language be? But he also says you then also need to graduate from A, B, and C to include all the rest of the letters to really comprehend and to keep growing in language. And this is what he says here. That there are some basic conversations that you just can't have. You should be able to have, but something isn't happening. The dull of hearing What's on that list? Well, he says, you should be able to have a conversation about repentance. Repentance is uh, turning from sin and turning towards God, submitting your life to Him. You should, have a conver- you should be able to have a conversation about that. It's pretty basic. Um, he also says, along with that, about having a faith that isn't about works, And this is the Bible through and through. It isn't anything that we're earning or adding to or look at how great we are. We are saved by faith. It's not good works that we're about. We should be able to have conversations like that. He adds on to uh, this thing of washings. Most likely he's alluding to baptism. What is baptism? Why is it important? And then he moves on to saying the laying on of hands. If we had more time, I could see how I could point you to, to scriptures that say it's really talking about the, the Holy Spirit being in your life and walking with the Spirit. We should be able to talk about how we are and then to have conversations about the resurrection of the dead. 
that we will rise again. The Bible is clear. And how there will be judgment. The Bible, again, clear on these basic things that we should be able to have conversations about. This shouldn't intimidate us. But I know what you're thinking. There's some here who are thinking, wait a second. I let theology happen with the professionals. I don't want to get out of my pay grade and talk about theology. Now, let me just just have a commercial here for theology. Theology is simply the word theo and ology. Theo is God, and ology is the study, the study of God. Now, let me tell you a little secret. Every one of us has been created in the image of God. Therefore, all of us are theologians. Every single one of us desires to know deeper things about God. It isn't just for those who've gone to seminary. Every single one of us wonders about God. How does that happen in the universe? That's a God question. Why are things so wrong here? That's a God question. How, how can I make myself right before a holy God? That those are, that's theology. And every single one of us is very, very interested. Whether we know it or not, we're interested in theology. And so that's why it matters. That's why these, this conversation is, is really important. Now you might think, well, really, does it matter? What if I just know a couple things and is that good enough? Or if I've just kind of, ba- kind of danced around knowing the Bible and all that. This is where the author wants to go next, in the next section. And this is probably the most uh, poignant warning he gives in the entire book. I might even say in the entire New Testament about what you're about to read. Um, so this is what he sees in the people. They're dull of hearing, and this is why it matters. Verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. All right, so on the heels of what he sees in the people, He's he's worried for them. So much so, he says, you need to hear the rest of this. That there is an ominous warning. That the language is warning language. That there is an impossibility that is going to take place, potentially, in the church. And the impossibility revolves around this idea of restoring again to repentance. For those who are dull of hearing, who are sluggardly, apathetic, who cares about theology? He says, there's a warning here that you might not have ever even begun this journey with God. What? It is quite possible to get very, very close to God, yet not embrace the Savior. This is dangerous. How close can you get? 
You can get very, very close. And so I believe the scriptures teach us that if you are a child of God, if you have an authentic relationship with him, you can have assurance of that. He knows his sheep and they can be snatched from him. But this isn't that Sunday. This is the Sunday where he's asking this question. Have I really surrendered my life to Jesus Christ or am I just playing a game? That's the question here in Hebrews. Yes, we can have assurance, and we can talk about that. But today is the day he wants to say, have you actually surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Or is it just about putting on religious platitudes, coming and smiling and looking nice and and playing this game? We see, he uses three terms that give me some ideas of this is really kind of something that you can get close to. These three terms right here, there have been volumes written about what does he mean by this. Is this somebody who has actually, is this someone who had genuine faith in Christ and has lost it? Or is this somebody who has flown close but has never embraced the gospel? My opinion, after lots of research and study, is that these are people who play a game that looks a lot like church and embracing who Jesus is, but they have not. All right, why do I say that? Let's go through each one of these individually. He says, first, people who have once been enlightened. Again, all these terms that he uses are very, he could have said it much stronger, but he doesn't. He puts it in more of these kinds of more softer kind of terms, like once been enlightened, that describes people who are surrounded by the Word of God. They have Bibles at home. They're in Bible studies even, or they come to church and they hear nice things from a pastor on a Sunday morning. And all of this thing is, is surrounded by the Word of God, yet never embracing it. Never surrendering your life to the one in whom these words are about. Well, that was a nice sermon. I I liked it. Well, why did you like it? Did you like it because it was convicting you, or did did it probe deep? I mean, we know the Word of God is supposed to drive deep into the heart and soul of our lives. Was it nice because it entertained you, or was it transformative? There are many, many people who come very close and hear lots of nice things about God's word, yet never embrace it. Oh, that's good for those people, but I'm not quite sure for myself. All right, about the second one, they have tasted the heavenly gift. Again, this idea of tasting can be so temporary. We taste something, but then we forget. We taste and taste and taste. And it's even possible, I believe, to taste the goodness of God and his community. Because when his community is functioning well, I mean, we had an example of that on Wednesday night. When everybody is here, young and old, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And many times people are like, wow, those are such nice people. But I'm not sure if I want to be one of them. And so there's an arm's length of... Yes, even being able to taste the the heavenly gift of when God's people are displaying love and truth and imperfection and, and embracing one another, but yet still, like, I don't know if that's what I want to be a part of. And even the third one, they share in the Holy Spirit. 
The word shared is very commonly used in the New Testament. People shared boats, they shared meals, they shared lots of stuff. It's a very, very common word. And I believe here as well, you can share in the Holy Spirit. You can be a part of what he's been doing. You can see right in front of them. They're witnessing something really miraculously happening in the lives of others through what the Holy Spirit is doing, yet they're always, that's good for them and not for me. And so that's why I believe he is describing here people who get very, very close yet never embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. They never submit their entire lives to the Savior to say, here I am. And what he says is impossible is the impossibility of how close can you get and not embrace? How much close, what else do you have to see? There's going to be a point where your heart is, is going to be hardened to these things. And it will, you will miss a, a window to come back and to embrace. When will that be? I don't know, but I'm just sitting here saying the warning and so the question then is, how close can you really get? I'm going to show you an example of another place in the New Testament of someone who got extremely close. In the Gospel of John, chapter 13, this is probably the greatest example of getting so close yet never embracing the Savior. You know the setting. The Last Supper moment. There was one among them who was going to betray Jesus, Judas. And this is what the Gospel of John records. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what are you going to do? Do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. And then verse 29, fascinating. Notice what they thought about what Judas was doing. Some saw, thought that Judas had the money bag. And Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should go and give something to the poor. Those who are very close to Judas, what do you think about Judas? He's a great guy. He's one of us. Oh, he was talking to Jesus. What's he going to do with the money? Oh, we're getting ready for a huge religious feast. He's probably going and getting preparations for that taken care of. Or maybe he's going to go on a short kind of missions trip, give some money to the poor. You know Judas. He's a great guy. Talk about one who had been enlightened by the teachings of Jesus Christ. One who had tasted the heavenly gift of that kind of community. Who had, who had been a witness to the Spirit descending on the Savior and, and being a part of that. How close can you get? You can get very close and yet not embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, so back to Hebrews. Notice the person who is this close. He keeps denying, denying, and there will be a moment where there might not be another moment. And really, verses 7 and 8 are also strong kind of uh, metaphors of what's really happening in that person's life. It might look good from the outside, but notice what is described of them. Jesus would use a very similar illustration to speak of people who are far from him. He, in this, he says that there's this illustration of seeds and soils. And in verses 7 and 8, 
he, he talked about how the writer then leans into the idea of thorns and thistles in their life. They never, they never really did embrace the gospel. There's nothing happening spiritually. There is a hardness that is going on. But Jesus, we prophesied in your name. Or Jesus, I, I've been on lots of missions trips. Jesus, we cast out demons in your name. I'm in lots of different Bible studies. Didn't you see us do all of these good works in your name? And when this question was confronted to Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, you know what he says when people came to him with this. We have this long resume. Look at all the experiences I have. And then what Jesus says to them next, I can barely say because it scares me. But this is what he said. I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. We never had a relationship. I, I never knew you. Depart from me. This is the worry of the shepherd of Hebrews. People playing the game of church and not embracing who Jesus Christ is. And I will tell you as well, that is the worry of the shepherd here at 1407 Fairchild. This is my worry for you. That there are people who come on Sunday mornings and sit in blue chairs. That's nice. That's nice. That's all good. But yet, they are stiff-arming the gospel of Jesus Christ to always be, well, that's good, but I don't know. Dull of hearing, apathetic, does it really matter? And the writer of Hebrews says, eternity is riding on this. This is why it matters. Today is that day. He's using a warning. He's saying something hard that we don't like to wake us up. And maybe today is that day where he's saying, you know what? There's still time. Walk with me. Have a relationship with me, the Savior. It's not about earning and winning his favor. It's about submission to the one who is holy because we're not. And he's the only one who is. Come and get to know my son, Jesus Christ. Are you playing games or are you walking your imperfect life with the Savior? What I also love about the writer of Hebrews is that he doesn't leave us on warning. This is what he sees, this is why it matters, but notice his pastoral heart. The next things that come in the text are so um, loving. I want you to hear that as well. It's not just about yelling at them. It's also about saying these words. Notice what he says. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, Riverwood, beloved, we feel sure of better things. There are better things. Things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. 
And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the, the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish. There's our word again. But imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Oh, the heart of the shepherd comes through. Here's the shepherd's hope. Surely better things are going to happen. Yes, I'm saying hard things, and I'm, I'm warning people, maybe even scaring people. But he's sure of better things. He's sure that they will listen and say, you're right. I need to stop playing that game. I need to turn my life to Jesus Christ. And he desires each one of them to show what he says, the same earnestness to have the full assurance. You can have assurance of hope until the, and this is, I think, the real key, until the end. The end. The end. The writer of Hebrews has been saying, persevere, persevere to the end. The Bible affirms this. Even in our child dedication moment that we had, we were affirming this. I don't know if you heard it or not, but Proverbs 22, 6 is train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they are what? Old. We, we are praying that these children will not just stay in elementary school with their faith. We are praying that they will move on with the Savior and embrace and walk with him all the days of their life. And that's what he's saying to us. That's what we heard in our scripture reading. Press on, Paul would say. Hold true. Keep walking. Another writer would say the true test of faith in the life of the believer is one thing. Perseverance. Perseverance is that test of faith. I'm not talking about there are moments when you're, you're, you're not with the Lord in, in um, this day or that day, but are there long stretches where you are not walking with the Lord? That should, this should be a red flag to us. Perseverance is the way to battle sluggishness, to, to battle hard of hear, dull of hearing kinds of apathetic heart things to keep walking with the Lord, to embrace his word, to have it a part of your life. And even this last verse, to find other people to walk that journey with. Find people who are also reading the word and be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises and watch them and walk with them. The community, the church. come back to the original question. The writer just has one question. Are you playing the game of church, or have you sincerely submitted your life to Jesus Christ? I know what he sees and why it matters, but I also hear the hope of the shepherd. And today just might be that day where he's waking you up calling you to continue on 
in that journey. Maybe for some, he's calling you to have that beginning journey. Like, today's a day where it's like he's saying, come, know who my son is. The booklet's right in front of you. Explain that. You can take one of those with you. Uh, the story, the story of a perfect God and imperfect people. Maybe today's that day he's saying, let's enter into this journey together. Be open to what he has for you. This church has lots of resources, lots of people, and lots of ways to keep going on this journey. Making disciples is really, really important to us. And may that be something that's important to you as well. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to continue in a quiet moment and in, in worship as well. Dear Lord, we thank you um, for your word to us. If we're honest, we love to read passages that are encouraging us and, and spurring us and talking about things that are lighter. But seemingly, your word keeps driving us back to these same conversations of seriousness and even of warning. And so, Lord, I pray that we would find hope in the warning. That is my prayer as a shepherd, that we would find hope in the warning of these words. Hard things to hear, but maybe they're true. Maybe we are apathetic. Maybe there are some here who are dull of hearing and sluggish in their faith. And this is exactly what you wanted them to hear. I pray that we have ears to hear the things you'd want us to hear. And for all of us to keep running the race with the Savior, pressing on, finishing well. May we do that to your glory. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.